0: I'd like to welcome you to today's episode of Stats and Short Stories. Stats and Short Stories is a partnership between Miami University and the American Statistical Association. I'm John Baylor, chair of the Department of Statistics at Miami, and I'm joined today in the studio by my colleagues, Rosemary Pennington, professor in the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film, and Richard Campbell, a former chair and founding chair of the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. We're happy to be joined today by Sarah Cobb, Sarah is the Drussy-French-Cumby Professor in the School of Conflict Analysis and Resolution, or SCAR, at George Mason University. She's also the director of the Center for Narrative and Conflict Resolution at George Mason. Now, Sarah, I want to ask you about the differences between conflict escalators and conflict transformers. What do you mean by positions or social orientations that may lead to more conflict as opposed to those that might transform it?
1: Okay, I think um, it's a great question. Um, my theoretical orientation, which is a, uh, to conflict, which is grows out of narrative theory and narrative practice, uh, is anchored on this idea of positioning. Mm-hmm. Positioning theory, basically, this was developed by Ram Harai, um, who is a fabulous philosopher, um, in a book he wrote uh, some years ago called Positioning Theory. He basically noticed that people get indexed, just like you would in a you know a card in a card catalog. They get indexed in conversations by the way in which they position themselves and how they are positioned by other people. So we grow up in families where we're indexed by our own family into a set of cultural stories, and we get further indexed by how our parents might describe us particularly as, oh, she's so smart or he's so talented in sports, whatever. Those are all indexing. Those are all positioning. But in the context of when we think about conflict, what we see are these indexing, these positionings by others that, dis- that delegitimize people. Mm-hmm. And so people are indexed, located in a moral space that's fundamentally delegitimate. And let me tell you, nobody will tolerate that. Mm-hmm. Nobody puts up with it. Nobody. Only depressed people, perhaps, <sighs> maybe very depressed people, but not nations, not identity groups, you know, they won't tolerate it. So what people do is struggle to reposition themselves. So they go to talk to their interlocutors, the others that have delegitimized them and say, no, no, you don't understand. They make justifications, denials and excuses. None of those are effective. So the very things we do to reposition ourselves uh, to try to address the way we've been delegitimized, uh, it's like it's like a quicksand. The more we struggle, the deeper we get into it. So then the question comes, how can we transform uh, the dynamic that is now set in place as people struggle to reposition themselves after being delegitimized? And the question is, often they can't by themselves get out of it, unless they've read Sarah Cobb's work and other people's work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, But for the most part, folks are not able to get out of it by themselves. So then we need, you know, third parties of some kind to support the you know, creating an environment, a process by which a new kinds of conversation can take place, and in those, uh, you know, conversations, and they can be formal mediations, or facilitated meetings, or dialogues, or uh, formal negotiations, even. Um, that person with the with a third role, third party role, can support this. The changes to the narrative space that enable that reduce the delegitimacy of, of the parties and increase the uh, regard or respect or appreciation for the other. Now, that sounds like kumbaya. <laughs> <laughs> it's, inc- it's incredibly uh, complicated work that, um, that can be done. We have the narrative tools to do it. And yesterday, for instance, I was at the Environmental Protection Agency giving a training on narrative approaches to conflict resolution, teaching people who are working often in Superfund sites um, how to engage the public in a way that reduces the conflict on the ground, using these tools, they're very effective. So, if uh, if if something escalates to violence, if if you have this indexing and this this, this yeah. sort of conflict over indexing and it and it becomes violent, is there a way to dial back from the violence, or do you just sure. sort of have to let yes. it run its course? No, no, no. There are ways of dialing it back, and I think um, there. You know, you need in addition to once the violence erupts you need not only narrative transformations, but you need other sorts of social processes like rituals. You may need TRCs. You may need theater. You may need a bunch of other things that help people talk about what happened. What's a TRC? Um, A uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Oh, okay. So, you know, you may need need processes to document what happened um, so that there's some sort of a legacy that's anchored, a story that's anchored about this is what these people did to these other people, and you can't get, you can't pull back from the violence until there's a, an established uh, narrative that that provides a historical anchor for what happened. But you can, you still can support the evolution of of the groups. I, I think if you look at. You know, what's happened in South Africa, that Mm -hmm. hasn't been, there's been not, uh, I wouldn't say a total reconciliation, but we don't have the kind of violence that we had in the 90s. -hmm. Um, So the same thing with the racism in the United States, you know, we've got a lot more, uh, we had an incredibly violent history in the United States uh, that arose from racism, and we don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. We've got other, we suck persistent racism and perhaps in other forms, but we don't have lynchings anymore. So I think that I think you can come back from violence.
0: Well, Sarah, thank you for sharing this incredibly important work. I mean, I think that you've you've outlined a number of of aspects of of aspirational activities (laughs) for both society and for for us at a local level. Now I have to think about the fights that I'm going to have around the university in a different way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get your, get your narrative complex
0: there. I'm going to have to do some serious work on braiding these <laughs> narratives together. So. Okay, great. So that, that's for. all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Short Stories. Sarah, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. I really
0: appreciate it. Oh, it's been great. Stats and Short Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future episodes of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.